So as I mentioned, we are privileged today to be here as three members of our community are celebrating their first communion. And this is obviously the celebrant's host. I'm the only one touching it. I'm the only one who will eat it, so don't worry. But of course, we know, according to our faith, that this does not remain bread, right? And the wine doesn't remain wine. So if I could just say to our communicants, what does this become? What does the, the host become? Yes. Body of Christ, do you agree, Brooke? Claire? Three out of three, all right. This becomes the body of Christ. Actually, they both become the body and blood, but that's for another time. But if I were to ask what the stuff in this becomes, because we know that physically it remains as bread, but in its real essence, it becomes the body and blood of Christ. So where does the bread come from? Any ideas? Yeah. The Last Supper, okay. But the bread itself just comes from the ground, right? It comes from wheat. And then if we pushed it and said, well, where does the wheat come from? It comes from wheat seeds. I'm not a farmer, so that's the end of my knowledge. But the wheat seeds, I guess, come from mama and papa wheat. But if you keep pushing it back, ultimately, what this is, is carbon, mostly. If you want to break it down to its elements. And then if you said, well, where does the carbon come from? You might say, well, it comes from the ground, coal or whatever. Eventually it makes its way into plants and then wheat eats it or whatever and it turns into wheat. But the carbon isn't made by the ground. And in fact, something we know that Jesus didn't know or any of his contemporaries is that carbon and all these atoms that we learn about in school, they're not made on earth. They just get recycled. Where they come from is a truly extraordinary source, right? I'm sure many of you know this, but maybe not everyone. And every time I'm reminded of it, it just blows me away. Where the stuff, right, the carbon, the, the atoms that go into something like the Eucharist comes from, they come from when stars explode. They come from supernova explosions, billions of miles away. I know you all can't see this, but here's one. After the star explodes, you're just left with this mess of gas and dust and there's carbon in there and it gets scattered throughout the universe and eventually it coalesces into planets like we know today. So think about this, guys. When you take the bread, which has become the true body and blood of Christ, but in its stuff, right, in the, the stuff of the wheat, that started out in the explosion of a star. You can look at the remnant of it today. There's millions of them, right? But that's something like Pope Francis consecrating the host. Now, which of us were there when the star exploded? Obviously none of us. Which of us saw that process as all this gas and dust gets spread over the universe? Billions of years later, it gathers into what ultimately becomes planet Earth, eventually turns into the wheat after billions of more years, so that in this year's cycle of bread, the host right there got sprung up from the ground. Which star, which exploded star did that particular atom of carbon come from? Who knows, but somewhere in this vast universe. And we know that for a lot of different reasons. It's this huge chain of unfolding events. And yet there are people who 
they deny or think it's silly that we say the bread and the wine become the body and blood of Christ. Well, I'm not suggesting that it becomes the body and blood of Christ the way the exploded star becomes the carbon atoms. It's not that kind of change. But my point is, we can blithely say, oh yeah, exploded stars, that's where we get the carbon from. Don't even give that a thought necessarily. But that's a miracle too. I mean, a miracle is not the suspending of the laws of nature. A miracle is what points us to the presence of God. And that, at least for me, is no less miraculous. And so it bears witness, I think, every now and then just to stop and get knocked on our butts and to think about where did the stuff of that little host come from? And maybe if we just sit and let ourselves be amazed by that, we're not quite so blown away or maybe even skeptical about the fact that the bread and the wine could become the body and blood of Christ because there are extraordinary things in the world all around us. Now, I have for each one of you your own supernova remnant. It's in a Mundelein Seminary folder, so that's worth the price of admission alone. There you go. There you go. On one side is the nebula, on the other side is Pope Francis consecrating the host. We all fondly remember our first communion supernova remnants, right? Probably have them framed. But ultimately, what makes that change? It's not magic. It's the love of God. That's a very simple, visceral way of talking about the converting power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just the bread and the wine that get converted by the love of God. That happens to us as well. And that's what that second reading is all about, where John is saying to his followers, we are the children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. And that means something. That's not just a throwaway line. That's transformative. And he says, we are in the process of becoming someone that we weren't before. Where all this is going, we don't yet know. And we know this at the human level. If you truly feel that you are loved by someone whom you love back, it is transformative. It's not just some generic statement. And how do you know that you're loved by another? You can't define it. You can't do some science experiment and prove it. The way you know it, yes, by the way they act towards you, certainly. But I would like to suggest there's another way we know that we're loved. And that's by looking at how our behavior is changed because of the fact that they love us. Think about it. Think about the person you most love in the world and who most loves you. There are things that you do as a result of the fact that they love you. Sacrifices you make, you love the people they love, you take a joy in the world that you wouldn't have otherwise taken if they weren't a part of your life. What does it feel like if we say, God loves me. Not quite the same way as a friend we could point to, but I would just offer as a little spiritual exercise as we move into this fourth week of Easter and we are so privileged to gather on this day when Brooke and Annalie and Claire are receiving their first communion, is simply say, all right, maybe I don't fully feel the love of God. I know it, I check it off on a test, but act as if that love were there. Put it to the test. Live the way that Jesus calls us to live. 
not just by following this rule or that rule. He says, love one another as I love you. That's self-sacrificial love. Take a risk. Extend a note of forgiveness to somebody that maybe you've been holding that back from. Try to heal a relationship that maybe has been divided for a while. Maybe just take on a little small sacrifice as a way of saying, I want to be more in touch with the fact that a lot of people in the world aren't as blessed as I am. And as I think about that, maybe I'll be a little more generous in one way or another. We know how we act differently when we truly feel the the love of one whom we love. It works the same way in the faith. That is the very same love and grace that transforms the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. In God's creative glory, his own loving of the universe leads to this exploding star into the little atoms on that piece of bread which will become the body and blood of Christ. And it's no less true in our own lives and hearts. The love of God is just words on a page unless it transforms something in our lives. Put that claim to the test.